Hello and welcome to Check the Program. I'm Amanda Farrell-Lowe. I'm Sarah Petrescu. I'm Melanie Trump-Hoover. And I'm John Threlfall. Before we begin, I'd like to acknowledge that Victoria occupies the traditional territories of the Lekwungen-speaking and Coast Salish peoples, including what is now known as the Esquimalt and Songhees First Nations. As settler people, we have the privilege to work and create and live on these lands. And much of the art we are discussing has also been created and performed here. Let's get started. We were all, uh, we took a little break because we were all on various Vacay. vacations. Vacay. Yeah, two of us went to Las Vegas. Amanda, you and I went to Vegas at yeah. different times. Yeah, I think we might have passed in the airport or something. <laughs> That's right. How would yeah. you characterize those different experiences? Uh, I think John's was probably a little more uh, family-oriented and wholesome. Well, it, it, it was certainly more wholesome. No drinking, no gambling, no nothing like that. Uh, architecturally splendid. Most of what I spent my time was, was looking at the architecture and uh, learning about the history of neon lighting, which was fascinating. Um, but yeah, I really actually enjoyed my time in Vegas. Yeah, yeah I, the first time I went, we did a lot more exploring, and it's a fascinating place and beautiful. Yeah. Like when you're coming in on the plane, mm -hmm. like yeah, it's. Yeah, yeah. It, I was amazed at how beautiful I thought the desert was. But this trip was all about lounging by the pool, and going to bed at a reasonable hour for me. Perfect. <laughs> Unlike my my uh, travel companions. So. Yeah. And Sarah, where were you? I was in Joshua Tree near Palm Springs with eight friends for a massive 40th birthday extravaganza. Yeah, it was awesome. We went hiking in uh, Joshua Tree National Park, saw a rattlesnake, <laughs> went to an oasis. Yeah, it was great. Nice. Yeah, great part of the world. So I'd go back. Nice. Yeah. Melanie, you went the furthest. Yeah. I went the furthest, yeah. I was in Portugal for just shy of three weeks, an early 10-year wedding anniversary trip, and uh we explored as much of the country as we could. Did saw a little bit of art while we were there too, and yes, just like you said, a lot of architecture, a ridiculous amount of octopus, and um, fell fell in love with an even wider variety of port. So yeah, it was a really good trip. Your and did Eurovision, Eurovision rock your world? Yes. Oh my goodness, <laughs> there was there was a giant dance party uh, for the final night of it, where everybody was like wearing their flags of what country they were rooting for. And when Israel won, there's this giant wave of, of kind of screaming down the river. People people are rooting for Israel. It's a weird song if you have not heard it no, yet. <laughs> oh, you want to start with Unifest? Go chronologically. Yeah, maybe. Okay. I mean, Uno did wrap up about a month ago, but yeah. we haven't sat down and talked about it. And I think pretty much all of us went and saw stuff. Let's do rapid fire Uno highs and lows. Okay. Or, or yeah, whatever. Whatever. Sure, let's do that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think my favorite piece was Adrian Wong and uh, Dustin Harvey's Landline, where you got an iPod and you wandered around the city. It was almost like a, a meditation on the city and. Uh, another person in Halifax was doing the exact same thing. And oh. then you would stop at various points and uh, text each other. And so, and then at the end, why don't, no, I'll, I'll say it. at the end, you go and you like Skype with the people on the other end that you were texting with. And oh, cool. uh, was that it a was spoiler, spoiler maybe alert? a little bit, because uh, it was, it was, I guess it wasn't a total surprise that that happened, but yeah. uh, it ended up being a very uh, overwhelming emotional experience for me just because I hadn't really thought about how much history I have with downtown and like a lot of, if I really stopped to think about it, a little bit of emotional baggage, <laughs> but it was great. Lovely, beautiful, unique piece of theater. That was probably my highlight of Uno. And so were they all timed that way where someone, like you had to start at the exact Yeah, so you're like, have... they're counting you down, like there's kind of a person on either end, hmm. uh, Adrian was here, and I assume Dustin was over there, 
and they count you down three, two, one, and you press play on the iPod at the same time. They lock it in so you're listening to the exact same thing <laughs> at the exact cool. same time as the other person on the other side of the country. Yeah. And there are just these like little vignettes that you wander around and listen to, and then there are points where you kind of have this guided conversation with the other person. And then you get to sit down and see them. <laughs> yeah, I was, it was awesome. Can't say enough good things about it. Nice. My high was uh, White Man's Indian with uh, Darla Contois' piece. And uh, it was a really great, obviously, a solo show. Uh, very uh, harrowing uh, personal journey and had some really unexpected queer content in it, which I thought was fantastic because it wasn't necessarily billed as that, but it's that kind of show where there's so many things packed into a very short period of time. And uh, I felt it just had a huge impact on me. And, you know, hearing those personal stories come out, uh, it's always one of my favorite things about UnoFest. So, yeah. Boy Man's Indian, thumbs up for me. Cool. Melanie? I didn't see anything. I oh, missed yeah, the festival. Portugal. Oh, yeah, you're in Portugal. Yeah. Okay, well, I saw one great show um, by uh, Sarah Hagen called Perk Up Pianist, or Perk Up Pianist? I don't know how you say <laughs> it. But, um, so Sarah Hagen is a classical pianist, and I've seen her many times. Just incredible uh, soloist, concert pianist, also from the island. Um, she happens to be the daughter of the late Stan Hagen, who was an MLA of oh, Ireland, yeah. I didn't know that. and um, the namesake of the Stan, Stan Hagen Center for the Families here, mm. the Salvation Army. Anyways, she did this really quirky fringe show about being a, you know, performer on the road and a single woman looking for love, and just, it was hilarious. She had that self-deprecating humor and made all sorts of ridiculously cheesy classical music puns. But then just blew your socks off with her playing. Like, sh it was unbelievable. So, yeah, it was a great mix. That's what I think Uno's for and Fringe is for, is those, you get people with these wild talents just mm -hmm. coming in and doing something weird, but it works. So, yeah, it was great. And, and then on the, the downside, anyone want to <laughs> throw that out there? That's the only one I saw, so I guess I hit, hit the mark with that. I didn't see anything terrible. Um, <laughs> I, I, well, I was disappointed. How about that? Um, the one I really didn't enjoy that much was uh, Megan O'Shea's uh, Dream Another Day. Uh, it was supposed to be the James Bond-inspired physical theater dance piece. And uh, really, honestly, I just felt it was an index card kind of a show mm -hmm. where depending on the festival she got taken into, she could slot in this scene or that scene or another scene. Uh, the James Bond content was minimal at best, and it seemed kind of shoehorned into uh, a production that could have, you know, been for any festival anywhere. There was a whole segment about her being an artist and resident on a container ship. And uh, what really put me off the most was for a solo theater festival, uh, for much of the show she had five people on the stage. And I just thought that was cheating. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that wasn't my favorite. So. Where do we go next? Bluebridge. Bluebridge. Let's talk about Bluebridge. Yeah, so Bluebridge Theaters, um, All My Sons, a classic Arthur Miller play. Um, which I thought I enjoyed it. I mean, it's uh, that theater's fun because it's just such a small, intimate space, and it's a very quirky space to be in. And sometimes, you know, when you're going seeing something that might be a little bit heavy or serious, it's kind of like okay, brace yourself. But um, this cat, I thought the cast really mm -hmm. made it. Like the chemistry, even even going in and knowing that the content was going to be dated a bit it didn't bother me much because of the intensity of the cast they were 
so present and um, and I thought everyone was excellent so that really made it for me mm-hmm. and some familiar faces and yeah I thought it was great it was nice to see Brian Linz and in that role I thought he, he was excellent so. I always enjoy him when he's on stage mm-hmm. yeah yeah and because uh, he played opposite his wife yeah, yeah, this, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. and I think that I didn't actually see the show, unfortunately, I didn't make it, but I remember the first time I saw them perform together, I think it was Hockey Mom, Hockey Dad at oh, the Belfry. Oh, great. Yeah, 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 and I, it was oh, really, really I a forgot about that. Yeah, yeah that they were incredible they were together. together. And they were yeah. Mr. and Mrs. Fezziwig in uh, Christmas Carol. Yeah. Oh, well. mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Melanie? And, well, what you said about the intensity is true, right? Their chemistry, how everybody was playing off of each other, the... the um, Brian and, and Jan, as you say, but but really the whole cast and their dynamic was so great that I was really surprised by the sound design in a few places where it felt like the, the actors were bringing you there emotionally and were, had you hook, line, and sinker, like pin could drop in the room sometimes. And then all of a sudden this overture would come up of this kind of pseudo-patriotic music reminding you that you're post-war America yeah. or um, where there was a little bit of foreshadowing of what was coming there'd be like dun 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 and it just it just didn't need to be there and it mm. kept taking me out of it emotionally except for in this one spot there's this this incredibly vital gunshot near the end that could have you know totally silenced a room and for whatever reason on opening night it sounded muffled hmm. like to the point where because there is a little bit of ambient noise in that that space where you can hear a bus go by or whatnot you're like oh was that was that in the theater? Was oh, that out? Mm. And yet it's this pivotal, like, the gunshot should make you jump out of your seat. And it didn't. It's the one sound that should have should have really played to your heart, and, and I didn't get it there. So it was distracting. For me, it was a bit distracting, but I did enjoy the show. There is weird sound in that room. There, there are some sound echoes in that room. I know we've talked about it, where yes. it's like, depending on where an actor is on stage, it sounds like they're mic'd all of a sudden, yeah. even they're not. But. It's funny about the gunshot, because I remember when they did of Mice and Men, it was the same thing. There was a pivotal gunshot right near the end of the show. And uh, when I saw it, it was just kind of flat. It was almost like a cap gun going off. It's like, really? Yeah. That was the dramatic high point? Bigger so. guns. Bigger guns. <laughs> Especially Bigger for an American show. Guns. <laughs> How did it play as a, as a, as a play? Like 1949, Arthur Miller, it's not necessarily his best known work. Mm-hmm. You know, of course, went on and did Death of a Salesman and Crucible and things like that. Uh, does it stand up now? I think so. I think, uh, well, especially in the context of Trump's America, yeah. that that American dream that people are fighting for at any cost, um, and and you know this bankrupt morality that is the president right now. I think that that theme really did carry forward. Mm. Um, certainly, some of the content and gender dynamics and whatnot—they're very much placed in the '40s. But for me, that was one thread that pulled forward and was still re- still resonated. Yeah, it's true, and I think I mean it. Come, I think it comes back to the cast being able to pull it off. They're a pleasure to watch. No one had any sort of weird put on accents that throw you off. Mm-hmm. It was, um, yeah, it was, it was well done. Speaking of weird put on accents, uh, <laughs> <laughs> let's go to Langham Court for a chorus of disapproval, uh, where the uh, yeah James Goodman's uh, Welsh accent was uh, kind of weird and kind of off putting. <laughs> I of course of disapproval. Uh, for people who don't know the show, the 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 whole concept of the show is that it's a small town theater company mounting a production of Beggar's Opera, and the joke of the show is supposed to be how amateur the production is that the, these townspeople are mounting, right? And when you go from the story of you know the actual story of the play to the play within the play, you're supposed to have that contrast of oh look they're so silly, right? 
unfortunately I found in this production that there wasn't really any shift between the play within the play and the play itself. I found it was all sort of on one level and uh, my course was of disapproval. I didn't really find much to cheer about in this production. Yeah. I got that, but I, I also found it kind of charming because, uh, you know, it is just the whole space there. Where it, it feels like you're going into a small town when you're going to Langham. Mm -hmm. The theater's beautiful. It's just got that community feel. And yeah, it didn't really, it, uh, it definitely did have that sort of wildness all over, which would have kept me the entire time, but it is a bit of a long play. Mm -hmm. Two and a half hours, well, two, <laughs> yeah, just over two and a half hours with an intermission on opening night. That was yeah. a really, really long play for yeah. that kind of a comedy, especially in a play where so many of the beats, the comic beats of the play, were about the, the fictional cast of the play taking so long to deliver their lines mm -hmm. and so many pauses between their <laughs> lines and the director of the show on the stage going, if only they would speed things up. And I was sitting there going, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was a little too meta for you. It was a little too <laughs> meta for me, absolutely. I really like the set, though. Uh, in, and I've actually loved the last few Lanham sets that I've seen in that what you guys say about um, that wild character, that was very much translated to the set. And Swanel's set, where it, it played, they had to hit so many different locations going on and off that stage. And were able, just with, with little twists of these four grounding set pieces in the back, were able to transport you all over the town, but then it always looked like that work in progress, like you guys said. Um, whenever they were in, in one setting, you still had that background and that kind of uh, specter of the, the fact that this was a play within a play. So that part of it worked really well for me. I thought it was well designed. And I know you mentioned this in the intermission, but the, the audience was quite lively. Like it was very, it had that community feel as well because people were laughing out loud and just, you know, oh, lots of oh, and cheering. And you know, that was family and community members yes. and it had that kind of feel to it so it's always a great experience going there um yeah i was i was, I was nodding off a little bit <laughs> <laughs> you know what for me i mean and i'll, I'll, I'll admit this uh, i think uh langham court has been doing exceptional work over the last couple of years yeah. uh to the point that you know it used to be kind of like oh i'm going to langham court you'd roll your eyes a bit but the shows they've been doing have been very good they've been attracting all sorts of good talent they've been mounting good shows that other people in town are not doing and this, for me, it felt kind of like a step back to the Langham Court of 10 years ago, mm -hmm. uh, where it's kind of like, oh, oh yeah, this is what Langham used to be like, and as opposed to what it is like now. So for me, it was a real bit of a flashback. But maybe that was the intention of the show, too, because it was supposed to be this small-town comic piece. Um, I'm sure there are members of their audience who, who miss those shows, too. Oh, though, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, so, yeah. It really yeah. felt like one for the theater crowd. Yeah. Like, and if the crowd was so were, into it. They would know they were like, totally into it. It's just, yeah, I'm just, yeah. it's just me. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. And it was, you know, lots of Langham regulars. Wendy Merck directing it and Evan Roberts, Roberts in the lead. He's been doing Langham shows for a very long mm -hmm. time. Uh, Kelly Vanderswan, who is the female lead, is Hannah. I really enjoyed her. She's I thought she was great. very good. Mm -hmm. I wanted more of her on stage and mm -hmm. less of some of the other stuff. But then the, the other two people that I thought were great were uh, another Langham regular, Wayne Yurcha, and Kristen Pickup as the, the swinger couple thing. Mm -hmm. oh, I thought they hilarious. were fantastic. And that green bodysuit on oh, her, yeah. the costume Amazing. design, she, it was made for her. If she doesn't own it, she yeah. should. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. At the intermission, my wife was like, Langham Court's costume sale, I want that. Exactly. Coming up soon, That's July. what we said. Langham Court has great costumes. Yeah. Everyone had beautiful costumes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So we should give a nod to uh, costume designer Pearl Arden for that. Yes. Thanks, Pearl. Thanks, Pearl. Can we commission you for some more bodysuits? Yeah. yeah. Can everyone get a velvet bodysuit? A velvet, emerald green bodysuit. Uh, cut perfectly to them. Yeah. 
Uh, what's going on news-wise? Um, I guess there's a bit of an update for what's happening down at Open Space. Mm -hmm. uh, they've now uh, established an acting Aboriginal curator who is Lindsay Delarond, uh, City of Victoria's Indigenous Artist in Residence, whose just term was slightly extended, so she'll be wrapping that up soon. So she's the acting Aboriginal curator. And they have a call out now for the permanent Aboriginal curator, August 1st deadline for that, uh, starting the position in October. And they also have a current acting executive director, who's Raj Sen. And uh, so this seems like things are happening down there and taking steps to move forward. Uh, and the AGM for Open Space is coming up on August 11th, when uh, I think that'll be the big crunch time for mm -hmm. the acting board to find out what happens with mm -hmm. them. Do they get voted back in? Or is there going to be another change in direction for open space? Then? I think they're going to need, there needs to be some change, you know. I, yeah. I'd be surprised if there was no change, you know, like that if the the uh, interim board stayed on entirely. I think yeah. that it's, there needs to be some kind of shift. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it's certainly a bit of a polarizing issue in the arts community, I'd say. There's a lot of people who do want to see change and there's a lot of people who want to see the right kind of change happening there and there's people who don't want to see rush change mm -hmm. happening. Mm -hmm. So I think it will be a very interesting, yeah. in the realm of AGMs, which are not usually that exciting, no. I think it'll be It's an, an important organization one. and, you know, you don't want to see that legacy compromised at all, Like, but, you know, change is needed there, It's it seems like. So yeah, yeah get some people in who are committed to it. But, I mean, it seems like they have a great support in the community anyway. So I'm sure it'll lead to something good. Yeah. 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 Um, Lindsay has a show coming up, doesn't she? I know she's involved in the AGGV's current show, Supernatural. She has mm -hmm. uh, a couple of pieces in that, uh, some of her photographs uh, of uh, women in a clear cut. Uh, and it's part of the overall look at um, forests and landscapes through the lens of technology, which is actually an exceptional show. Uh, Kelly Richardson's piece, their edition, is a huge huge room filling uh, digital piece where it's almost like a uh, it could be a moonscape or another planetscape or it could be a desert scape with these holographic trees that pop in and out throughout it and these large uh, adult sized bean bags you can just crash down at and, and watch this piece for a period of time and it's it is worth sitting and watching I sat there for like 20 minutes and watched it and then mm -hmm. I went back and saw it a couple days later uh, and there's some other great pieces in there using uh, different kinds of 3D technology and interesting piece about the Clackwa protests and yeah all sorts of stuff going on in there cool I think they have their family day coming up this weekend it's have you been day. to any of those I have yeah they're pretty cool and there's always some sort of theme to the activity I went to the um, cherry blossom one and made you know cherry blossom things and there's also some art theme yeah so kids get to interact and do arts and I think this one was a dance theme mm. the last yeah. one was uh, Scott Amos and a bunch of uh, him uh, his uh, funky machinery technology that he had the musical cash register and things like that. That's perfect for the family event. His, yeah. his work, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah all his stuff Dave's with work, Monkey yeah. C Interactive. So yeah. I just looked up Lindsay's, Lindsay Delaron's um, performance art film piece is happening at the legislature June 16th at 9pm. Oh. Ooh. So that's this Saturday at 9pm and it's called Forgive, a site-specific performance. Um, that explores a narrative in, of indigenous voices confronting colonial history 
and it will have some audience participation. It's yeah, nice. I was so, reading that earlier. I just couldn't yeah. think of it off the top of my head, but it sounded really, really great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, her piece last year, Chord, was uh, fantastic. And uh, I think the, the power and the impact of her pieces, her performance pieces, is if you can witness them yourself, if you can be there and be, mm -hmm. be part of the activity. And, mm -hmm. and I know this is one of the things that people were not getting about her artist-in-residency was the fact she's not necessarily leaving these legacy projects mm -hmm. behind. But the idea of actually witnessing her pieces and being emotionally moved for, by them and carrying mm -hmm. the memory of that piece in your body, I think that is one of the best parts of her work. And there aren't that many opportunities to do that here you know, in Victoria. Yeah. And we have an amazing art scene, but there's, there's sort of a few immersive ones. Like you went to Landline, mm -hmm. which had that experience, which is you know, something you see in, in bigger cities. Mm -hmm. And I like, to, I like that. Yeah. I like to have those boundaries pushed. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. yeah, especially like with Landline too. Well, I guess it wasn't a super high tech show, but it just was a really good use of technology mm -hmm. that where it wasn't like overshadowing the, the piece, but it was a big mm -hmm. integral part of it. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's a few things that happen on a regular basis. Tasha Dermont still does her uh, her monthly actions and John Beaumet quite Is often. Is that the naked yeah. lady? Yeah. 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 Uh, and John Beaumet quite often will do his open action monthlies around the city as well. So, you know, they do happen, but not necessarily as big and splashy as what So I used to live to across from where Tasha uh, Diamant did her did the naked display. And um, I think it was every couple weeks there would be a group of people and they'd all be standing holding a sign that said vulnerable. Mm. And um, and I'd walk by every, you know, every now and then. And I just thought it was so hilarious because I was like, this is great. Victoria. Yeah, and I got love that it's happening. And she's been doing it for so long yeah. outside now. my door. Yeah. yeah. For years, you know. That was great. Um, but yeah, so Saturday night for Lindsay's piece. That's great. I'm going to try and get down there for sure. Cool. Uh, other news. Um, Malahat Review. Uh, so the Malahat Review, there's a, a little bit of a, a kerfuffle around the Malahat Review with John Barton stepping down as the editor. And then uh, some of the members and uh, the literary community were questioning what was going to happen next with Malahat. And now they've, uh, the board has appointed uh, Ian Higgins to take over being the editor for the next three years. Uh, he's a professor in the uh, English department up at UVic, uh, a writer as well as a translator and critic and a poet. Uh, so he's going to be, yeah, Malahat's new editor for the next three mm -hmm. years. And so the kerfuffle was that it was someone from inside the university. Inside the university. And that it may limit the opportunities for out people outside of the university yeah. to participate. In an ever-dwindling uh, editorial landscape mm -hmm. in Canada, yeah. the idea of a, a full-time position being eliminated was mm -hmm. of concern, mm -hmm. um, which is still of concern, absolutely. Uh, but uh, looking back over Ian Higgins as the seventh editor, looking back over the previous six, uh, four of them were full-time faculty members, and two were mm -hmm. non-faculty mm -hmm. members. So there yeah. is a precedent for this. And they've said that, you know, do this for three years and then, you know, they'll have a call at that point and mm -hmm. see if they get Yeah, and a lot of times things depend on funding. And yeah. 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 So I think, you know, the, the positive spin on it is that Mel has going forward. Mm -hmm. It's not yeah. shutting down. Which yeah, is great. yeah. Minor kerfuffle. Yeah. Minor. Yeah. <laughs> and the public meeting they had over it, it sounded like uh, the literary community that wasn't present, they left feeling pretty satisfied yeah, with the outcome. Yeah, I think so. so. You know, again, it's just nice to have people raise their concerns in a, in a civil way and then have people respond to that. That's great. You know, more mm -hmm. of that. Anything else, Newsy? Other things, Newsy, uh, Jazz Fest. There's now the competing Jazz Fest. Yeah, so dueling Jazz yeah. Fest, dueling pianos. So there's the, the long-running Jazz Fest, uh, which runs from June 22nd to July 1st. 
And then Herman's is now having their own Jazz Fest, yeah. uh, which runs June 20th to June 30th. So concurrent, we have two Jazz Fests happening. And I believe it's because of the ongoing uh, question of ownership of Herman's Jazz Club. Yeah. Uh, jazz Fest Victoria didn't want to program into that space in case something happened and it sold or something like that. And they had to cancel all those dates. So, and I guess the abridged version of what's going on in Herman's is that Herman Nunweiler, is his name? Um, who started that space, opened it, beloved figure of the jazz community, um, passed away, left to his three children, and two of them want to sell, and the other one wants to run it, and has been running it as a jazz club. And um, meanwhile, a community group have, has formed, uh, Jazz Society, because they also wanted to buy Herman's and run it themselves. Um, but now they're just operating as a separate jazz society. And Herman's is still operating as a jazz club. So, who knows? Everything's up in the air and still. And now a festival programmer, too, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the yeah. thing yeah. I found really interesting about the, the Herman's Jazz Fest is they started calling Herman's a playhouse and event center, which I wonder if they're going to be using the space upstairs. Yeah, the old nightclub. The old there. nightclub upstairs. Yeah. yeah. Um, as a venue because it, it's a huge and it's a nice nightclub sure like it it's, yeah, yeah. Yeah. and it's just sitting top drawer. just yeah. sitting mm-hmm. empty for yeah. a few years now well and you know the success of the event center like that if there's a success story in the city it's the event center right? that's Down true Victoria Street. Event yeah, there's Center a, yeah there's and it's busy sure. all the time to the point now that the city could support another event center like that mm-hmm. because where are the multi-purpose rooms like the Bauman Center is being used a lot already I mm-hmm. noticed that yeah. more and more events yeah. are happening there yeah. up well, the outside of POV yeah, yeah, the latest Pachakacha happened in there mm-hmm. instead of the event center, right? So I think there is enough of a demand. We know the Trepa Theater Club is booked all the time. Mm-hmm. It's booked for the rest of the year this year. Uh, Metro is frequently busy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alex Goulden is seemingly busy yeah. all the time. So there is a demand for another space. And maybe this could be it. Yeah, instead of going straight nightclub, it could yeah. be something a little different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. Great. Great. So what's uh, what's coming up? What is coming up? Um, outstages, I guess, is the main thing. Melanie, mm-hmm. do you want to say anything about outstages? Yeah, I think it's in its fourth year now, and they bring four uh, main stage plays from across Canada from the queer theater community. And uh, this year they've got two coming from Toronto and one from Vancouver, My Funny Valentine, which is actually a Jesse-nominated piece. And has a bit of a history with outstages the very first year. There, so there's the main stage plays, and then there's also some readings that happen uh, in and around the festival. And a reading of My Fanny Valentine was done in that very first year. And now it's come back. It's been staged in Vancouver and Toronto. Oh, what a great like story yeah. of the growth of this festival. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the one of the big kind of marquee ones is uh, the Songs of Resilience from the Queer Songbook mm-hmm. Orchestra. Um, where they uh, look at uh, narratives of uh, in kind of major music culture and where LGBTQ themes are, are there in the personal narratives of artists and, and songs that we all know and love. Um, and that'll, that's kind of one of the bigger pieces at Metro, and I'm, I'm going to be going to as much of it as I can. It's a, a really important. There's very few queer festivals mm-hmm. in, in our country, and, and uh, it's such a great platform for uh, really important, interesting voices uh, in Canadian theatre. So it should be a really great festival again this year. Queer Songbook Orchestra out of Toronto, but they're pairing with local artists while they're here. Ray Spoon is being mm-hmm. announced as one of the local artists that's going to be playing there, as well as Louise Rose that's going to be appearing as well. And I'm looking forward to Lunar Boys, which is the new play reading this year. Uh, Kai Tadai and uh, Jack Hayes are doing that one, and I think 
that sounds very interesting as well. Um, and then the, uh, of course, it's having in and around uh, Pride as well, yeah. leading up to the Pride Parade and Pride Month. Um, but one of the things that I think is best about Outstages this year is they're doing their youth outreach, uh, which is uh, free tickets to youth mm-hmm. and allies under 25. Awesome. Uh, so they can go see all this stuff for free, which I think is so a fantastic accessible. thing. It's really yeah. cool. Yeah, so I'm hoping queer youth take advantage of that and actually go to some of these things. Anything else coming up? We were talking about Ska Fest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm stoked. Also, Matley. Mighty Mighty Boss Tones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Scott Fest is always fun. Yeah, just going down to Ship Point and yeah. hanging out and having some beer and sitting in the sun and listening to music. It's it's the best. I'm going to Choir Fest. Oh. Well. Not, it's not really a Did <laughs> you hang out with beers in the sun? There'll be no beers in the sun, but there'll be lots mm. of joy and happiness. Yeah, the Getting Higher Choir, um, which is a, it's got to be 300 people. Choir in Town, one of the mega choirs, is uh, having a performance, The Song Will Never End, and with a special guest, Anne Mortifee, and it's sort of a tribute to um, one of the co-directors, Dennis Donnelly, and also uh, Siobhan Robinson, two longtime choir directors, who are both um, retiring, mm. moving on to other things, and um, so it's going to be a big night. There'll have be a lot of people... Uh, there from over the years who have been part of the choir and um, they're just both been huge huge mentors of lots of other choir directors in the city and um, I am on the board of the charity that their choir supports uh, called the Kaya Connection and it supports an education project in Africa and Mozambique where I actually went there and rode on the back of a bicycle for four hours um, in the middle of uh, floods and um, to the small village in Mozambique and checked out the school that they support. And everyone in this tiny village knew about Victoria, oh, and they were all excited. And they had a beautiful garden, and it was like a little tribute to Victoria. So, yeah, it was really cool. So I'm looking forward to that show because I always cry, and it's so super feel-goody. Mm. When, when is it? Where is it? It's um, it's this Friday and Saturday, 15th and 16th, at the Alex Goulden Hall. That's a big shift for uh, for the Getting Higher Choir. That's, mm-hmm. uh, Dennis and Siobhan have been doing that for a really long time. Yeah. And the choir's and, going uh, on. They've got new directors. Oh, great. So, yeah. Great. The, uh, when you consider how many choirs are in Victoria now, I heard recently there's more than 65 choirs going wow. on in Victoria. Choir town. Yeah. And you consider the influence they've had on the many choir leaders yeah. in the city over the that's, and there's like all different kinds of choirs. Like you're in the you're in the pop. I'm in the choir, the choir, which has also now got the chorus, which is Mark Jenkins' pop choir. Yeah, yeah. So combined, we've got about 170 people in our two choirs. Wow. Uh, Glenda Garamoni's got the Pandora chorus right now, and she's yeah. probably got about 60 or 70 people in that. And then there's choir. like a drop-in choir where you can just go and sing, and yeah. Yeah. you know, well, there's mm-hmm. so many, there's so many choirs. It's yeah. crazy. Choir town, choir mm-hmm. town, which is great, you know, because. I, I never sang before until I joined the choir, and I love it now. Like, mm-hmm. It makes me feel really good, and it's 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 almost like a, a mobile meditation because you have to just focus so much on your breathing, on the lyrics, on staying on key, working with that group of people. Like I, I really do find it mm-hmm. a, a great experience. So mm-hmm. well, I'll pitch for the choir. We, we, <laughs> we've got a bunch of dates coming up. We're going to be playing down at the Cameron Bandshell in Beacon Hill Park, mm-hmm. and we're going to be headlining at Bouchard Gardens this summer. Ooh, which I think that's how you know you've made it. I know. <laughs> what a fireworks night! I hope so. Is it a Saturday? I hope so. No, I think. it's And a you're Thursday. like Rifflandia veterans. Yeah, Rifflandia yeah, right? veterans. Yeah, we've been doing 
doing Rifflandia for about five years now, so and we're on the on the bill again for this year cool. too. So that'll nice. be great. Our doula is in your choir. <laughs> yes. Oh, Jay. Oh, Sarah and I have the same doula. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Um, fantastic. Anything else coming up you want to plug? No, I think we're gonna do some more previewy shows uh, over yeah, the summer when things do, slow down. Yeah. We have a summer preview fest thing. Yeah, yeah, since we'll you know more previews, uh, try and delve more into what's coming up in people's art seasons and mm-hmm. some maybe, music. And, yeah, try and do some more offbeat stories in the in the summer. So if you have any ideas, email us. Check the program yyj at gmail.com or you can find us on Facebook at Check the Program or Twitter. Check the program. Get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. Talk to us. Yeah. And also throw a shout out there to uh, Melanie and I. We were both at the CRD Art Summit last week. And uh, we both really appreciated hearing so many people at the event uh, talk about how much they appreciated this podcast. You know, for something that's relatively new in town, uh, a bit of a soft launch. We haven't made a lot of noise mm-hmm. about it. A lot of people were talking to us both about it. I had people coming up saying, when's the next episode coming? <laughs> and I think people are just happy that something new is happening in the mm-hmm. arts coverage scene instead of things being cut all the time. So that was great. So mm-hmm. thanks for all the uh, kudos. Yes, yeah. thank you. All right, is that everything? Yeah, that's enough for now. Well, thanks for listening. Uh, I'm Amanda Farrell-Lowe. I'm Sarah Petrescu. I'm Melanie trump And I'm John Thruffall. So always remember to check the program. Check the program. Check the program.